Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together tonight and study your word. And as we study the doctrine of rewards, help us to be reminded of the things that we can do right now in action in our lives uh, that you would, you would call us to do, whether that's helping Israel, whether it's helping the body of Christ, whether that's getting the word out, getting the truth out, whatever that your call is, Father, help us to do it so we can gain these rewards that you promise us. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So uh, let's go to the doctrine of rewards. And uh, the concept um, uh, that we're going to get into tonight is about gaining rewards. I, I'm still not, uh, haven't got into the subject of the specific rewards. We, we, will, we will get into that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing rewards right now on a principle level and... and uh, and then once I'm done with all the principles, then I'll go to the specifics of what are the rewards and what do you have to do to gain those rewards. So in this parable, the parable of uh, the workers in the vineyard, uh, it's all about rewards. This is not a salvation passage. Unfortunately, Calvinists will typically come into this passage with a pre predetermined mindset of how they interpret the passage and they'll, they'll say it, it's about salvation. But the problem is, there are workers in the field earning, earning things. Well, we already know you do not earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. It must be a gift given to you by faith, right? Because Messiah does all the work. So when you see a parable like this and the people are earning something, right there is, is, is the flag that goes in the air and saying, ah, this is not about salvation. This is about earning rewards because that's the only thing you can earn is rewards, uh, can't earn salvation. So that just sets the groundwork in any context that you look at, you will find that. Now, let me explain something uh, a little bit more about the Gospels as well that people don't realize. It is only the Gospel of John that is evangelistically driven. Okay, These, and, and the topic is already expelled out by John. I think in chapter 21, I think, I think, these things are written so that you may know you have eternal life. I mean, it's, it's a total evangelism outlook, the Gospel of John, okay? But when you get to Matthew and you get to Mark and you get to Luke, those Gospels are written to believers for discipleship. And so that's the overall context of those three Gospels. John is written to all people for salvation. It's an evangelistic book. Okay, so, so when, you, when you're in Matthew, he's going to talk a lot about discipleship versus when you go to John, there's a lot of salvation passages. This is where John 3.16 is and, think, and how to be born again. But the other gospels will not deal with that because the, the other gospels are dealing with issues with believers, not so much evangelism. So, yeah, keep that in mind, okay, as well as the overall context of the Gospels. Okay, so here's where the context comes from. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Now, leaving all and followed him, right there is the first thing you have to get the context about. And the context is a Jewish context. 
the term followed, or when Messiah says, come follow me, that is a rabbinic term, a rabbinic term for discipleship. So what would happen is, you would go, the rabbi would, would ask you to follow him, or you would ask to follow the rabbi, and then you would take that rabbi's yoke upon you. And you would, then the rabbi's yoke symbolized his teachings. And that's why Messiah even used the rabbinic term, take my yoke for my, my burden is light, right? So that's a rabbinic term, and it has to do with follow me. Come follow me. Follow me is not a call to salvation. It is a call to discipleship. It is a call to learn under the rabbi and take his yoke upon you, okay? So when you, when you read verse 27, automatically you're in discipleship. You're not in salvation, okay? So he says that, we have followed you as the rabbi. Okay, therefore, what shall we have? So what is he saying? What shall we have? So, this, so he's asking, what do we get out of this? That's really what Peter's doing. And, I'm, and, and you know, and you got to give credit to Peter. I mean, it, Peter's pretty impetuous, and, and he, he sometimes says things before he thinks. And I get it, because that's how Peter is. But in a lot of cases, I'm glad he does it, because he's asking the questions everyone else is afraid to ask Jesus. And so he'll, he'll, he'll ask him, like, and, and I'm glad he did, because this is a good, good question for, that all believers have. And, 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 here, and here's how it goes. What do you get by your discipleship? What do you get out of your sanctification? What do you get by, by confronting evil? What do you get by raising your kids in, in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What do you get? And, and I'm glad he asked that because, he, 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 you know, if he was asking a salvation question, it, it would be simple. He would say, you get eternal life. But he's not asking about eternal life. He already knows about that. They're already saved. He's asking, what kind of reward do I get for, for leaving everything? We left all, okay? I left the fishing business. I left my vocation. We, we're, we're following you now, okay? So what do we get out of this? What's the reward in the end of this? Because it's pretty rough what they're doing. They gave up their vocations. They're not making any money. They're going to live in poverty pretty much as they follow the Messiah. So, so by worldly standards, they're going to be dirt poor. And again, they didn't take a vow of poverty, but it's just the way it is. The foxes have holes and the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So they're wanting to know. And that's the same question a lot of believers want to know, too, deep down inside. Hey, man, you know, if I sell out my life for the Lord, you know, and I, 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 I leave a worldly life, I leave a carnal life, I leave, I, I leave me building my kingdom, I leave my agenda, and I get on his, um, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lose in this life. I'm going to lose everything, pretty much. I'm, uh, you know, the things I... I thought I was going to do with my life, probably are not going to happen. Okay. So if I do sell out, then, then what is the reward of that? And that's, that's what we're all asking. Because um, the people who have made that sacrifice understand that. Because they have given up. People who have not made sacrifices, this passage doesn't even make sense to them. Because you know why? They haven't given up anything. They've never had the sacrifice in their life. They've played it safe. They play the middle ground. 
not too extreme, don't want to get too much, I don't want to become a Jesus freak or anything like that. And so they kind of play it safe. And so their Christian life is really peddling in Laodicea. They, have, they, they go to church on Sunday and they, they check that off the box. And the rest of their life they live pretty much like the world lives. And there's a lot of, a lot of Christians like that, right? And, and, and they think they're, they're, they're living a blessed life or whatnot, but really they're living a very shallow spiritual life and not as God intended and obviously not the abundant life. So when you, when you show them a passage like this, it like goes right over their head because sacrifice, there, there is no sacrificing in their life for Jesus. They think coming to church is a sacrifice. They think coming to a Bible study is a sacrifice. They have no idea what sacrifice means. They don't have any idea what it means to lay it all on the line. They have no idea what it means to sell out. They have no idea what it means to take a stand for Christ and then get pummeled for taking that stand. They don't know. So, but those who do understand this passage, understand what Peter's saying because he says we have left all. We gave everything up, man. So in order to understand the passage the best, those who sacrifice will get this one. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory, <coughs> you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so there's a lot there that he says at the regeneration. Well, a lot of things. It's not only the, it's not only the resurrection of the church, which would be in the rapture, but also the regeneration includes the other resurrections that will happen to Israel and the 75-day interval and the, the resurrection of the tribulation saints in the 75-day interval and then also the regeneration of the earth um, for the messianic kingdom, which will happen in the 75-day interval. And then the throne of glory is that messianic throne of glory that he sits on David's throne in the messianic kingdom. Okay, and it encompasses all of this. And so then he, when he says this to them, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the reference, the direct reference is to the messianic age. That's what he's referring to. He's referring to the kingdom age. He's not referring into heaven. He's referring to the kingdom age, which means that they have been rewarded. So when they're sitting there judging the 12 tribes of Israel, he already, you know, basically is assigned the 12 tribes to the 12 apostles in the Messianic age. That's their reward. So, so they have already went through the Bema seat. So this regeneration is an all-encompassing word that includes the resurrection of the church which, and, and the judgment of the church at the Bema seat and includes the sheep and goat judgment and includes... Uh, the rewarding of the Old Testament saints and the rewarding of the tribulation saints in the Messianic kingdom. So it's a big term, obviously. It's, it, it encompasses a lot. But the end result is what he's trying to get to. The end result is, guys, the reward for you giving up everything is during the Messianic age, you will judge the 12 tribes uh, for me during that per period of time, which is like a, uh, a, like a co-regent. So what he's referring to is what we call the Israeli branch of government in the Messianic age. 
there are two forms of government in the Messianic age. One is a Gentile form of government, and the other one is a Jewish form of government. The Jewish form of government is pretty easy. It's, uh, at the top is Messiah, then under him is David the prince, then under him are the 12 apostles, and then under them are princes and rulers and judges, which include Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, all of them will be judging at a certain level, and so forth. And it goes down into the 12 tribes. So that's the Israeli form of government. The Gentile form of government is a little bit different in the sense that you have messiahs on top of that government of the Messianic age, and then those Gentiles that are saved will rule and reign uh, in the Gentile nations during the Messianic age. And that's, this is where your rewards come in on this. This is where you rule and reign. Okay, so, but on this passage, he's just referring to them. Uh, so I could, I could refer to the other passages, Re Revelation chapter 1, uh, of the five crowns, um, ruling and reigning is, is promised to the church as well, but over the Gentiles during the Messianic age. Okay, so this is what he's saying. He said, look, you're going to get rewarded for what you, fo you, 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 for you following me. And notice that this, he doesn't refer to salvation. So, that, so he's saying, you're gonna sit on thrones. That's a reward. So the context, and I don't know how anyone would miss this to, to interpret this in referring to salvation because he's saying, no, you're gonna sit on 12 thrones. That's not a salvation issue, that's a reward issue. So it's very clear to me, uh, I just don't know how Calvinists do that. I, I just don't, under, I don't understand it. Um, it's not taking the scriptures at face value. Anyway, verse 29 and everyone, now look what he did. He made a bridge. So he goes from them and he switches. And now he's going to apply the principle to what? To everyone, okay? Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, a hundredfold means you, you get everything back in your life a hundredfold, and inherit is like I've always said. Inherit eternal life has two aspects to it. It has a passive aspect to it, and it has an active aspect to it. So, let, hold on, let me, let me back up. In verse 29, he starts explaining how people get rewards. And as you can see, people have left their homes, they have left their family, right? That's a big one. They've left the land or country in which they live. So they have given up stuff. They have sacrificed in their life. That's what I'm talking about. They have given up stuff. This is what Laodicea doesn't understand. Laodicea doesn't sacrifice, but Philadelphia and Smyrna sacrifice. They know how to sacrifice. They know what it takes to give things up. And they do it for who? For my name's sake. My name's sake. So obviously, the Messiah, at, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Yahweh. Okay? He's second person of the Trinity. So his name is exalted above all names. Right? And everyone will bow a knee to him and proclaim him to be Lord. Okay. So the, for his namesake, Messiah's namesake, 
What it means is it's not just simply referring to his person. That is part of it, no doubt about that. But it also includes his words, okay? Because Messiah will lump in the concept of the name, and the name is always important in the Jewish context, the name of Yahweh, right? And and, and, and different uh, aspects uh, of his name, right? So he's saying, look, it's, it's those who are ashamed of me and my words. He actually will put them together and combine them. So it's, it's, it's not like, I don't know, someone has a bumper sticker uh, on their car that says, I love Jesus, and they get persecuted for that. That's that's. Pretty rare that someone's going to be persecuted. Maybe in a Muslim country, yeah, but um, for the most part, if you live in the Western society, uh, if you just say you love Jesus, and, and you're not going to get too much pushback. It's when you actually follow the commands and the principles in what his word says gets you in trouble with people. Okay, that's what, it, so it's a combination of not only his person, but his, his words and his commands and his principles and precepts. So, when you have these Christians that you saw that are like, you know, we're for abortion, and they say they love Jesus, well, apparently you don't because you don't follow his commands. Or if you're for 52 genders, or you're for gay marriage, or whatever, or you're pro-Hamas, and, and, or some stupid thing like that, and you say, I love Jesus, you know what? Apparently you don't because it's not just simply him, but it's his words that you have to encompass. So when you say his namesake, it's not just for the Messiah himself, it's what he commands. And by the way, there's 1,050 commands under the law of the Messiah. There's a lot of laws. The laws don't save you, but they tell you what he expects out of us and what he approves of and what he disapproves of. So there's a lot there. Now, what, the, what he's saying is these people have lost things because of what, the, what he stands for. Not just his person, but his words. They have lost things. There's many of you who have told me you have lost jobs because of his words. Many of you have lost promotions. Many of you have have lost family members because of his words. Maybe many of you have, have, can't even talk to your family members anymore because they're so crazy, right? They're woke or something like that, and you can't even have a discussion with them. That's right, because you've lost them. The truth divides, doesn't it? You've lost friends, maybe. You've lost things. So that's what he's saying is, look, man, you're gonna lose things because of me if you're, you're dedicated to me and faithful to me. You're gonna lose things. It's just an automatic. But I promise you that you will receive a hundredfold. What is a hundredfold? Basically, you get your life back 100 times over. All the things you lost, you get back. Now, how, did, how he works that out in the Messianic kingdom, I'm not sure. But he does promise somehow he, he will find some type of valuation that matches what you lost here. So the relationships you lose, the, 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 uh, the career you lost, you, you, your dreams, whatever it might be, whatever you lost, he makes it up for you 100-fold in the next life. And so you can count on that. How that comes and what form that comes, that's up to him. 
I'll trust him for how that form comes. You know, but, but, but he says, I, I can, he says, well, I'll give it back to you a hundredfold. And then inherit an eternal life. And again, there's two aspects to inheriting life. So let, again, let's refresh our minds about inheriting eternal life. In, inheriting is what you get as far as the reward package of becoming a believer, okay? Entering into eternal life is, com- by, is by coming to faith in the Messiah. You enter in eternal life. You enter in the kingdom by coming to faith. You inherit as part of the package deal that comes with being a com- becoming a believer, passively and actively. What's a passive inheritance? A passive inheritance is, is something that all believers get, okay? A passive inheritance would be that all of us who are believers are gonna be glorified. That's a guarantee. That's part of the package deal. That's what you inherit. You inherit um, uh, you know, this glorification, which means the sin nature, this old body will be removed from you, you'll be glorified, and the sin nature will be removed from you. Um, so that's a pa- passive and that's also called adoption. Right now, the, the papers are drawn up for your adoption, but you haven't been adopted yet, per se. In order to be adopted, you have to have a glorified body. And so our adoption waits for us in the future. But that's a passive inheritance. Another passive inheritance that you get right now is the possession of the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit dwells in all believers. The Holy Spirit gifts all believers. That's called a passive inheritance. You just get that automatically as a child of God. Okay? Active inheritance means those are the things you have to earn. Okay, those are the crowns. Those are, uh, and, and what do those mean? It means more responsibility. It means ruling and reigning. It means more access to certain things, access to the tree of life, access to uh, the gates of Jerusalem. Some, some believers are not going to be allowed through the gates. Like going through the gates of New Jerusalem is actually a reward. Um, and things of that nature, and I get, we'll get into that. But again, that's what he's referring to. Now, now here's the parable. So once that's stated, and he's got that foundation told to them, he's anticipating them saying something to him. He's anticipating a question that's probably gonna, that what he just stated is gonna cause a question to erupt inside of them. Okay, and, and it's probably something like this, because based on what he says in the parable, he, uh, he's anticipating that they're going to talk about fairness about this. Now, how fair is he going to be about this? Um, and and, and is, is the Messiah a good evaluator for rewards? And I know that sounds strange, but it, you, have to, you, have to, you have to assume that this is the question in the way he answers it. Because they're, they're going to think about, well, does it pay, or does it, does it matter how long you have served him? Does that, does that matter? Um, will someone who serves him just a short amount of time get the same reward? And, 
And, and so where is the equity in, in all of this? Are, are, you know, how are you going to evaluate when people get saved at different times in their life? So what if happens if someone gets saved at age five and they serve the Lord all their life versus someone that gets saved at age 70 and they live in a couple more years? And what kind of reward will they have versus the one that's born, at, at, you know, born again at five? What happens if, if someone gets saved at 12 and they never live for the Lord versus someone that gets saved at 50 and they live the rest of their, their life really sold out? How do you compare that person with someone who wasted their spiritual life? There's all these questions that are popping up in their head once he states this. And he answers this in the parable. So, that's, so that's, let's explore this then. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Again, laborers for work, okay? So the, the idea of the laborers in the vineyard is a call to ministry, and every believer is called into ministry, okay? So that's what the laborers for the vineyard mean, okay? Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So... What you would do in the Middle East is you would go to uh, uh, where the laborers were in the morning. In some places, I think even like at Home Depot and stuff, you'll have day laborers hang out at Home Depot and you can hire them for the day. They still do that today. But that's what they would do to find work. You would find day laborers and you would send them and work and that's how they would get paid. And, and so you agreed in the morning time with them, I'll pay you a denarius a day and you go uh, pick my vineyard or whatever, whatever the job was. So very common Near Eastern uh, pattern here. Okay, so <clears throat> he agreed with them, and that's the key. You agree. You serve me, this is what you get paid. Okay. If you serve me and you, get, and you do this, you get this crown. Okay? That's what... If you... If... Um, if you, I'll give you an example. If you suffer well, I will give you the crown of life. Okay? That's what he has said to all believers. If you suffer well, you'll get the crown of life. If you don't suffer well, I'm not going to give you the crown of life. But if you suffer well, I will. Okay? So let's just leave that out there as, is that agreed upon? You get, you get what I'm saying? He's, it's what he has stated to us. If you suffer well, you get this. How long do I have to suffer? He doesn't say. He said, if you suffer well, I'll give you the crown. Is that a deal? You get, what, you get what's happening here. Because he's not telling you, if you suffer 10 years, if you suffer 20 years, if you suffer 50 years, if you suffer one year. He doesn't say. He doesn't say. He just said, are you and I cool? Here's the deal. If you overcome not, let's put it this way, put it in a positive. If you make me the priority of your life, I will give you access to the tree of life. How long? I didn't tell you how long. 10 years, 15 years, 20, 40, 50, I didn't tell you. The agreed upon term with, between you and I is if you make me number one, I will let you eat of the tree of life. How long? He doesn't say. Do, are we agreed on that? That's the deal he's cutting with you. You understand that? That's the deal he's cutting with you. Are you okay with that? And if you say yes, 
then the time issue doesn't matter. That's what he's trying to say. If you do this, I will, I will do it. And the, the, the time element is up to him, not you. The time element is up to him. Okay, let's keep going. And he went out about the third hour, so nine o'clock in the morning, so they started maybe at six, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So what are they doing? They're looking for, they're standing there not working, and, but they're idle. So again, this is all about working, earning. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Now these guys didn't even agree on a denarius. They just trusted the master of saying, look, yeah, he'll reward me if I go do this. It's nine o'clock. He'll pay me whatever. Am I good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. And so they went. They agreed that they don't know how much he's going to pay them. So when, when you agree that you will be faithful, he says, then I will put you in charge of many things. How many things? I don't know. We will figure that one out when we go settle accounts. But do you agree with me to be faithful and then in the Messianic kingdom, I'll put you in charge of many things. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That's all I need to know. No further than that. You're agreeing upon that, right? Yeah, I agree on that. So we'll, we'll settle accounts when I get there. And so what is the person trusting the master for? That he will be fair. Do you get it? Because they didn't say, they didn't say well, we, we want a Daenerys. They didn't say that. They're just like, we know you're fair. We'll do whatever you need us to do. We'll go out in the field and work. And we know you're a good boss. And you will compensate us appropriately because you're, you're good. You're good. Okay? So, and so a lot of the rewards are not specific. A lot of the rewards are based on faithfulness. Well, how much faith? What's the degree of faithfulness? Is 100% faithfulness? 80% faithfulness? 70% faithfulness? And then how many days do I need to be faithful? How many years do I need to be faithful? How many decades do I need to be faithful? I don't know, but it's up to him, and he'll figure it out. Trust him that he knows how to reward you on your faithfulness, and he can quantify what is appropriate. So you don't need to worry about that. He just says, be faithful until you die. Oh, okay. And then I'll reward you for your faithfulness. But I'm not going to tell you what. But you were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Well, that's very nebulous. Yeah, I know. Do you trust him for the nebulous? That's what he's asking you. That he will compensate you appropriately for your faithfulness here. If you can do that, then you'll start understanding how the master works. Okay, cool. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and he did likewise. And again, what did it, what did it say? They never set, agreed on any terms. They trusted his goodness, that he would compensate them fairly for the work that he, he asked them to do. Great, okay. Because one of the things about rewards is I don't, I don't know how to explain it sometimes. I don't know how to explain very well, and the scripture doesn't do, go into depth of how to explain how eating from the tree of life enhances your eternity. I just know it does. 
And that's all he wants you to know. I don't know how, how having access through the gates of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, enhances your, your, your eternity, but it does. I, I, I don't know how to quantify treasure in heaven. I don't know how to quantify. I don't know how to explain all of it. I don't, you know. But again, he's just saying, do you trust me with that? I don't know what it means to be a pillar of God. Other than a pillar means stability, and, I, and, 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 and he will never leave uh, that temple. I don't, know how to, I don't know what that implies. I just know it's a reward, because it doesn't really explain what that means. I can, it's talking about permanence. It's talking about stability, but I don't know really how it flushes that out. Or how about, um, oh, what's another reward? You were given a new name. I, I, okay, I, I can guess that being given a new name implies a new function that you will do for him in, in the messianic kingdom. But I don't know what all that entails. I can just tell you it might lead to something that's brand new for you to do, but your, your life here prepared you for it for whatever your task is there to do. But I can't tell you what that is because I don't know and it doesn't say so what he's saying here is, and, and here's what you have to understand about rewards, they're not fully defined, and they're not fully defined on a purpose. Why? Why do you think they're not defined? Very, very well. And that's on purpose. Well, first of all, it's an element of trust. He's saying in, in, this, in this realm, this is the currency that you want. I know it doesn't make sense in your realm, but in the heavenly realm, this makes sense. Like, for instance, some, some believers will shine brighter than others. Well, what does that mean right now? It doesn't mean anything in this space-time continuum, but it means everything in the next one. That those who shine brighter have more access, more authority, more power, more whatever. Okay? It means something in that next realm. So it doesn't mean very much to you. And that's why a lot of people can't relate to the rewards and they can't value them because it takes faith. Because it's nothing tangible they can actually work with or see or understand here. Because they're heavenly rewards and there's an element of faith in there. Okay, that's the first thing. So it, 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 an element of faith is, need, is necessary. And the second thing is, if he were to explain it to you, you still wouldn't understand. Okay? That's what happens. And that's a, that's a principle in the Bible that you have to understand. That if God wanted you to understand it, but you can't, then he will wait and delay that until another time when you can. Where am I getting the principle from? From what the Messiah said about the, to the disciples. There's many things I want to tell you, but you're not ready for it. And if I, if I did tell you, it would be like telling, you know, trying to explain Einstein and the theory of relativity to a small-necked clam. He just wouldn't get it. And, and, and if God was to sit there and try to explain to you how eating from the tree of life enhances your life in eternity, you still wouldn't understand. So he's saying, you have to trust me that when you get there, you'll understand. So take me by faith and don't look for an explanation because you still won't understand. It's what Job 
What, what did Job, he tried to, he goes, were you there, Job, when I did all of this, when, when I was creating all of this? And, and basically what God was trying to say, how in the world do you think I can explain it to you when you weren't even there at creation? You're, you're, you're fooling yourself. You think I, the creator, the eternal one, can, 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 and you as a human being, creature, can understand all of this, of why all these dynamics are happening. There's about a million things you don't know, Job, and, and, and there's no way I could put that into your brain. There's just no way. You're a creature, and I'm the eternal one. And so, so there's two things, faith and understandability. And it's hard. It's very hard. Okay. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle, said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? So there's a mild rebuke. These guys haven't been working. They've been lazing around, okay? I'm standing idle. That's the idea of being idle, okay? And they said to him, because no one hired us. Okay, well, he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Again, what, is the, what did he say? I'll be fair with you. They, didn't, they agreed on it, whatever he wanted to pay them, okay? Um, and so the, the rebuke is to believers who are not doing anything. And, as, and here's what's happening. That, that these believers are being invited into the field to work, okay? And as you can see, Believers are joining in the work of ministry at different hours of the day, okay? Different times of the day. And it could represent two things. It could represent the time when they get saved and then when they finally start serving. Uh, so that, that could be that. Or it could be a reference um, to their lives, um, I think it's more, I would lean more to where it's about them being saved and then entering into the field of service. Because just because you get saved doesn't mean you enter into the field of service. A lot of people are saved, but they don't serve. And so it's about entering into that field and what time you enter into that field, okay? And so basically, I, I, what I th think and I, uh, the parable is, is trying to say about this is that your rewards are gonna be based on when you entered into the field of service, okay? That's, that's what it's about, after you got saved, okay? So you're gonna be rewarded for that. So does that mean, does that, mean that, that someone has an unfair advantage if they accepted the Lord earlier versus someone who accepted the Lord later in life? Or there's someone that, that, got, that, that, got, uh, that got saved later in life and served later in life, are they cut short on their rewards? You see how the, 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 the disciples, yeah, go ahead, Frank. Pastor Frank, we have, I mean, <laughs> Pastor Brandon. You're talking to yourself. Talking to myself. <laughs> Pastor Brandon, uh, Miss Fish from online or YouTube says, do you ha get a chance to progress in heaven? If you're not bright like others, if so, how? Uh, no, you do not get the chance to progress uh, in heaven. Your, your progression, or, uh, as far as progression, as far as, let's talk about more of a rewarding rather than progression. Your rewards are determined at the Bema seat. Your position in heaven, your authority in heaven, your rewards are all established at the Bema seat, and that's what you carry for all eternity. So really, your 
if you want to use the word progression or your rewarding is determined now. It's determined now. So if you want to, if you want to rule and reign, if you want to progress in heaven and be a higher ranked and not least in the kingdom of heaven, um, but have more abilities to serve, more, more access to things, more responsibility, it's all determined now. This is your probationary period right now. So it's either the rapture happens or death, that's when your probation period ends and it's sealed at that point in time. So uh, right now is where you're progressing or actually going backwards, one of the two. Um, anyway, uh, and about the 11th hour, he went out and found this. Okay, I got that. He said to them, you also go in the vineyard and whatever you was, uh, is right, you will receive. Okay, so again, they trust him. So when evening has come, had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Okay? And, and obviously the last is the ones that came on at the 11th hour at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And they worked about one hour. When those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they received a denarius. Now that's interesting. They received a denarius because that's what the, nine, sorry, the 6 o'clock people that started out in the day received. But yet the ones that received uh, a denarius too came and only worked one hour. That doesn't seem fair. Hmm. I wonder what's going on here. Hmm. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. Wouldn't that be the natural reaction? Well, if he, hey, he paid that guy a denarius, hey, surely we got maybe 10 denariuses. Who knows? I don't know. They supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. What? Yeah. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. And what are they complaining about? How is it that they were able to receive the same reward, the same wage as we did, but they came later and we came at the, the beginning? You see how the Calvinists then will take this and twist it and say, oh, it's about salvation. So it doesn't matter when you come, all can be saved until the very end. But again, what was the context? The context is not about salvation. The context is about rewards. So what is, what, there's an implication here about the ones that came at 11 getting a denarius. Same, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Hmm. Is that fair? But he answered one of them and said, friend, Notice he uses the term friend. Friend has to do with a believer, okay? These are not enemies. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Whose own things? The master's. Oh, that's right. Remember, this is not our inheritance per se. It's Messiah's inheritance. And Messiah is sharing his inheritance with us. It's his inheritance, right? So can't he do anything he wants within his inheritance? Yes. But is Messiah arbitrary? See, that's, the, that's what they're saying. It's like, well, wait a second. Huh. 
Or is your eye evil because I am good? And therein is the crux of the matter. I thought we agreed that I would pay you a fair wage. And in the, the, the issue then is my evaluation of your work is right because I am good. And based on my evaluation, since I am good, my, I evaluate that the workers that worked at the last hour earned a denarius. And the workers who started at six in the morning and went all the way to the end of the day also earned a denarius. How so? How is that fair? Because I am good. That's why. What does goodness imply in his evaluation of the worker? He is being fair. It means that being good means he's fair. So then what is the implication with the worker who gets the same wage as the one who came earlier? Could be the attitude. It's simple. It's really simple. Don't overcomplicate this. Because the, la the, the last workers worked the same effort and sacrifice in one hour versus the effort and sacrifice of the people who started at six and worked the entire day. They worked harder for one hour and made up for what would take an entire day to make because they worked so hard at the end. Whereas the, guy who came, the guys that came at six, they weren't working as hard. They were working all day long and they worked through the heat of the day, but these last people that came in the last part of the afternoon worked double time, triple time, quadruple time in the time that I gave them. And because I am good, and because I am fair, they earned the same as you earned because of their effort and their sacrifice was matched to yours, which took your, your entire lifetime, and it took them a decade. So the fairness of the Messiah is, I see your effort, and I see your sacrifice. So the more you sacrifice and the more effort you give, the more rewards you get. And you actually can overcome somebody that has been a Christian all their life, but their effort and their sacrifice has not been where it needs to be. They give a little, they give a little bit of effort, they give a little bit of sacrifice, but they, don't, they give it in dosage, and, and someone that really works hard at the end can gain just as much as they did. And remember the type of rewards. If you suffer well, you get a crown. So if they suffered well for their whole life, they get a crown. If you suffer well in the last stages of your life, you get a crown too. Based on how the Messiah evaluates the suffering and sacrifice of that individual. And it's up to him. And do you trust him that he's good in that evaluation? Pastor Brandon, online, uh, Rose Duran, she's asking, what happens in regards to rewards for people who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior on their deathbed? Yeah. Well, therein lies a problem. Um, can, they, can they get some type of rewards? Possibly. But there, therein lies the issue. If you die on your deathbed, you probably are not getting any rewards. Thief on the cross, 
basically was dying on his deathbed, remember him? Um, and maybe he got a reward for his witness to the other uh, uh, thief on the cross, and his public proclamation of the Messiah would have uh, gotten him the reward of not being ashamed uh, in front of the Father. Remember, he says, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. So that would have uh, helped him. Um, and so he would have got some rewards. But yeah, therein lies the problem. If, if you die in your deathbed, you never had a chance to serve. And yeah, you don't, you don't have any rewards at that point. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Is this not... <clears throat> talking about our attitude of gratefulness or, or greed because it says in the yep, eye of the eagles because I'm good. So if we're <clears throat> saying, well, I, you owe me more because I did a lot more in my life than you, the person on the very end, you're not have a grateful, you don't, yes. you're not happy for that last person. Right, you got you it. You need to be so thankful, like so happy that everybody's there, even that last person, right? Yes, right. So you got it. So is your eye evil because I am good? And what is the evil eye? That's a, that's a Hebraic phrase. Have you ever heard of the evil eye? Okay, the evil eye is that you covet. Okay, you covet. And so he says, basically, is your eye evil or do you have the evil eye? And does it mean? And it means that you, you are you coveting what other have? And here's the thing, and, and, or because I am good, and and again it goes back to goodness. The reason the person is coveting is because yes, they could have re got more rewards, and sometimes their own reward is going to someone else, and they're mad about that. They're upset about that. But again, he's good and he's fair. Remember, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. Remember that? He actually takes people's rewards away because they didn't do anything. They were lazy, buried their talent, and gives it to another person. So yes, the evil eye comes from coveting someone else's rewards. And, he, and, 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 and really, the issue is, but if you want that reward, then go after it. Go do it. Change your attitude. Quit Quit having spiritual envy, because that's what Cain did to Abel. He had spiritual envy, and, and quit doing that, and do your own thing, and you can get the reward. All the rewards are available to everyone. But if you want to shortcut this thing, or you think it's not fair that someone gets a reward, you have no idea what they sacrificed in their life. You have no idea, because that's the sacrifice that people make, you don't always see. You don't see what they have to give up. You don't see the pain of the separation and stuff like that. Oh, but Messiah sees. And when he sees that, he can make the proper evaluation and give the proper reward. But what happens is people don't see it, so they covet that blessing. They covet those spiritual rewards. And what, what you'll see a lot of times, if you're faithful in a few things, he'll, he'll make you ch in charge of many things. He, what, what he does to uh, current rewards is he increases your ministry. If you see your ministry going downsized, you're having a problem. If you're seeing your, your ministry opportunities increase, it means you're faithful in a few things. And that's why he's putting you in charge of many things. But if you're not, you will start seeing the walls close on you. Because you're not being faithful in the few things that he gave you. And so what happens is, those people that are having the walls closed in on them, 
because they're not faithful in a few things, they see others and theirs keeps expanding and expanding and they're having this opportunity and that opportunity and they're like, I wanna do that, I wanna do that, I wanna do that. I'm sorry, you can't because you're not faithful with a few things. And they start having spiritual jealousy of those who get more opportunities given to them. Not realizing they would be given the same opportunities if they were just simply faithful in the few things. But instead, they get the evil eye. They start getting the, the evil eye and they start coveting and getting spiritually jealous. Guaranteed, it happens all the time. All the time, see it all the time. Okay, we've got another online question from Char, Char Yeomans. They're asking about children. As a child, uh, referring to the rewards at the rapture, what will their rewards be? Ah, that's a good question. It has to do with uh, middle knowledge of the Messiah. So um, God is omniscient, right? Okay, so it means he knows all. And what we say, uh, I, I take a Molinist position uh, that God has middle knowledge. And what I mean by that is Jesus demonstrated that he knew variables and he knew, uh, uh, what's the term? Not hyperboles. Uh, I'm going blank on that. He knew variables. That's, just, that's the easier term. Uh, uh, counterfactuals. What do you mean? He told, woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. For if the miracles would have been done in you, or sorry, if the miracles that I would have done in, in, that I did in you would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. What is that? That's called middle knowledge. That means he knows counterfactuals, that he knows variables, that he knows all possibilities that could actually come from decisions of human beings. That's omniscience, but it's also called middle knowledge, that God knows all the possibilities. If you were to ask him, well, if I, if I choose to do this, what will happen? And he could explain to you the thousands of variables that could come from you making a decision to go this direction or whatever, right? So that's what he was saying. Messiah was saying that he knew counterfactuals. Okay, so when someone asked that question, what about children that get raptured and they didn't live their life? Well, Messiah knows counterfactuals. He knows what all the variables, what that child would choose and what that child would do had it not happened, right? That's how you explain that. And so what God can do, which is the beauty of God, being omniscient, he can tell you exactly how the child would have chose, what the things they would have done, everything, because he knows counterfactuals. He knows exactly what their life would have done, even though they had free will. He, knew, he would have known what they, can choose, what they would have chose, and he can reward them knowing the counterfactual. Because he knew, he would say, well, if I gave this person 80 years, I know exactly what they would do, right? You have to say that, because God would know. And so with babies and, and children that especially die young, is he can reward them based on counterfactuals if they did leave, live a full life or whatever. Where am I at? Yeah, over there. Um, so if um, somebody's involved in ministry of some capacity um, and that fades or goes by the wayside or apparently fails um, in some way. Yeah. 
how would is that a um, a loss of reward? Uh, it, it, it's the rewards gained doing the ministry always remain. But wherever the person steps out of the field of ministry, whatever that means, it could be like sharpening pencils behind the pews, right? For, you know, what, it doesn't mean like full-time vocational. I hope you understand. That's whatever the Lord calls you to do. The minute you step out of the field, you start losing rewards. You keep what you gain. You keep what you gain to that point because you earned them right? It's your wages. But then if you're out of the field, you're losing, you're losing and losing and losing and losing because the rewards are mapped out for your entire life. And your choice whether to do them or not, but the minute you say, I'm taking a step back and you pull off because of whatever reason, whatever, it could be a legitimate reason uh, as far as, you know, hey, there's a failure in ministry or failure in your life or whatever, and you got to take a step back. Yeah, you will lose rewards during that period of time. But the, here's the thing. The minute you get back into it, you're back in, you can work double time, triple time, quadruple time to make those rewards up, just like the guy that came on the last hour. Does that make sense? You can get them back. But for that period of time, yeah, you're not gaining rewards. Can you get them back? Yeah. But you're going to have to work really hard at the end. But again, it's your choice on what you, what you decide to do and how, it's your choice on how hard you want to work. It's your choice on how much you want to sacrifice. It's all yours. It's your choice of when you enter the field and when you leave the field. Again, you have to think of doing work for the Lord as entering in the field. Are you in the field right now? Number one. Because if you're not in the field, you're not gaining anything. You're not gaining anything. Going to church, going to Bible study, that's you simply doing your duty. Because that that's not a requirement of sacrifice. That's just your duty as a Christian. Where are you going the second mile? Where are, you, where are you serving the body of Christ at? Where are you evangelizing at? Where are you doing all these things that you're called to do? And if you can say, yes, I'm in the field, then great, you're earning rewards. Now then, the next step is this. How great is your effort, though? Are you at 50% capacity? Are you like the average American worker? The average American worker works about 40% capacity. Do you know that? 40% capacity, the average American worker, whether you're at Target, Walmart, whatever, they're working about 40% of their maximum, okay? So where are you at in your work for the Lord? Again, that's, that's between you and him. You might be at 100%. You might be at 99%, 95%. Maybe you're at 20%, and you're just chugging along. I'm, yeah, I'm there, but I'm at 20%. Okay, that's fine. That you, can, you can choose wherever you want to be, but when you settle accounts, don't be shocked that someone who worked double time or triple time for the last 10 years of their life gets more rewards than you who are a Christian for 40 years, but you were given about 20% capacity the whole time. He is totally good. And because he's good, he knows how to exactly get the right amount out for the right amount of rewards on what effort and sacrifice you made. So it's a big deal. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So those two phrases will end on this, and I'll maybe explain it a little bit more next time. He's basically saying that, that, one, that both of them are Hebra Hebraisms, or idioms. The last will be first and the first last. 
He's basically telling the disciples, do not think for a moment that longevity of being a Christian gets you a lot of rewards. As the parable illustrates, you can come at the last hour and work yourself to death and get that same denarius at the end versus someone who was lazy their whole entire life. So the last, the, the guy who comes last and works the hardest will actually be the first in rewards. They'll have more rewards. So it's an idiom. What's the next idiom? For many are called, but few are chosen. What's the parable about? Going into the field of service. So the idiom can be applied to salvation and it can be applied to discipleship. It's just an idiom. And what the idiom means is I will call people to service, but few are chosen for rewards. I'm calling all believers into service for me, but not all believers will get that reward. Few are chosen for reward. And that's what the, you apply the, 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 the idiom to the parable, that's what he's talking about. Now in another parable, it means, he'll use the same phraseology, but it means something different. Uh, in, in, in that respect. But in this one, everyone's called to service, but fewer be, will be given the rewards to rule and reign is what he's basically saying. Not everyone will have the same rewards because of that. Okay, any other questions before we take a break? Will I be happy with my rewards? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask that in, 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 in two ways. Maybe at the Bema seat, and yes for eternity. But the Bema seat is the variable. That's where the evaluation shows where you left off. That's where the evaluation shows you what you gained, and the evaluation shows you what you lost. And so you could be happy, or you could be sad at the Bema seat. Okay, it just depends, because some will experience shame at the Bema seat, right? According to uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse, what, 28 or 27? Some will be elated. But once we're in eternity, that's, that's, that's gone. We have your rewards, you're set, and you're happy with your, your place in that position. Uh, but it's at the Bema seat is where people experience the emotional despair uh, if they do lose rewards. And we'll talk more about that next time. Yeah, Pastor, go ahead, Frank. Pastor Brandon, we had a good question. This is coming from YouTube from Liz. She's asking, how is knowing counterfactuals different from predetermination yeah. slash Calvinism? Yeah, right. Good point. Because um, the difference between knowing God knowing things is different than him determining things. And so because of the definition of omniscience, God knows all. But just because God knows something doesn't mean he determines it. Does he know that uh, you're going to wear uh, a certain clothes tomorrow? Yeah. But did he determine that? No. The Calvinist would say he did. The Calvinist believes he determines every minute detail of your life, which basically gives you no free will. Um, and so the difference is knowing about something doesn't equate into determining something. Unfortunately, Calvinism marries the two together and they say that foreknowledge or knowing counterfactuals is determinism. And so we do not hold that. That's called the, uh, theistic um, 
determinism, and that is not taught in the Bible. So what we know is God knows the future. He knows counterfactuals. He knows all variables, but he doesn't violate the free will of the individual. So simply knowing it doesn't mean he determines it. Are there some things he determines? Yes. He determines that he will rapture the church at, the, at his appropriate time. He determines the second coming will happen. He determines that the kingdom will happen. Yeah, that, those things he does determine. But as far as your free will, he gives you that freedom. He doesn't determine your life. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.